for us because we it's not just a song we're we're seeing it's like 3d isn't it it's just to be able to see the imagery and imagine what it was like and to know that uh, though we didn't see him at his first coming we will see him at his second amen so the best is still yet to be if you have a, a bible handy and i pray that you do if you'd open it with me uh, to first peter chapter 5 we're going to look at only two verses here obviously we'll look at a lot of other scripture but we're going to look at two verses in first peter chapter 5 Verses 8 and 9 uh, are the verses we're going to look at this morning. I titled the message, Our Enemy, because we're talking about a, a topic that you hate to almost have to talk about, but obviously it's in the Bible, and uh, it's there a lot from Genesis to Revelation in dealing with our enemy, uh, the devil. And so it's good that uh, we discuss him and understand uh, his tactics, his motives, um, his goals, all the things that uh, have to do with him. And at the same time, we don't magnify him. Um, uh, he is in his own ways magnificent, but not in the way that we see magnificent. Amen. And uh, again, we'll, we'll take a look at him today. And uh, I know that uh, the Lord will, especially this time of year and with all that's going on in our world today, um, it's a very, very important topic that I hope that uh, means as much to you as it does to me in studying it and being aware. And so uh, we'll read this together in 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verses 8 and 9. And it says this, if you'd read it with me, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Let's take a moment and we'll pray. Fathers, we look at these two verses. Um, I know for many in the body of Christ, uh, they mean completely different things. And uh, Lord, uh, again, your word, <laughs> when you gave it to us, and, and Lord, what you desire that we would glean from it is, uh, Lord, it, it was written to specific people or to a specific person. It had a specific meaning. It's not arbitrary, as your word says, that there's no private interpretation of Scripture. It's good for all people, all places, all time. And so, Lord, we need help in, in knowing, uh, again, who this adversary is and and uh, again, what his motives are and the way that he works in the world today. And so we pray that you'd give us eyes to see today and ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would have for us. And we just thank you as uh, we study these. We're reminded, uh, Lord, of the cross. We go always back to the cross and where, Lord, you said it was finished, that the victory was won, the devil was defeated. And may you always bring that to the forefront of our mind. And then for those of us who are in Christ Jesus today, Again, we don't have to live in fear of the devil because we rest in the fact that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so, Lord, thank you for that truth. And may you massage it deep within our hearts today, we pray, for your glory and our good as we pray. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we all agreed saying amen. 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 You know, um, I remember it was years ago, and it was Pastor Jack Hayford, and he had done a study and in this study, he talked about how he came to the conclusion, just even apart from Scripture, 
that the devil was real and that there really was a devil in the world. And I was fascinated by the way that he explained this. And the first thing that he said is he said, you think of the Lord's name, you know, as a, as a profanity, right? That people use the Lord's name, not just, you know, in vain and saying, you know, oh, I pray to God and they don't really pray to God in a, in a vain way there, but as a profane way. It's universal. It doesn't matter what continent you're on. I, I mean, I've been to a few different continents and everyone used Jesus' name. It wasn't, you know, just God. You know, his, you know, you know, well, we have children or something, I could say it. You know, it's, his last name is not D-A, you know, and then it. Um, and, and yet people say that all the time. And, and even people that, that go to church faithfully, right? I mean, and they have a relationship with God and it's like they don't think anything, you know, of it. But there's people all around the world that when they, you know, stub their finger, they stub their toe, something happens, you know, they get angry about something, their first words out of their mouth is not in a worshipful way, but they'll say, Jesus Christ. And Jack Hayford said, you know, that, that in and of itself is, is proof because it, it's not something that's localized to, you know, in that he was serving and still is in the Los Angeles basin. He goes, it's not something that is limited to California, the United States. It happens on a global level, okay? That's something that happens all around the world. And he went into a lot of detail, but I think that gives you the gist of it. And you go, yeah, you know, I, wow, you know, that there's an attack worldwide on the person of Jesus Christ. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. The, the devil hates God. He hates Jesus so much and, he, and is constantly wanting to bring an attack against him. The second thing that he said, it was another profane thing, and it was, you know, the F-bomb. And he said, you know, it's interesting that the pinnacle of human expression of love and God's would really, and he said to man, you know, be fruitful and multiply and man are created in the image of God. So when we're, when human life is, is being created, uh, again, it's a reflection obviously of God. And then, so to demean that by making it an ugly term, he said, you know, it's, it goes, it's obvious it's an attack against God, you know, and and, I, and it was one of those things that was so profound, it just stuck with me. And I was like, yeah, now it's apart from the truth of God's revealed word, that there really is a devil in the world. Now, you know, you have your concepts and I have my concepts on, on you know, do you believe that there is a devil? You know, sadly, you think about this, you know, Barna Research Institute and Gallup polls, both. Uh, in in interviewing Christians or people who call themselves, and the term was believers, you know. So if you look at nationwide, you know, supposedly our country is made up about seventy percent of people who say they believe in Jesus Christ. But do you realize only half of those people believe that there is actually a devil? Uh, I, I heard just this last week, and it was probably something that was older, but it was an interview with George W. Bush. And, and in that, they were talking about 9-11 and things that had happened. And, and the, one of the questions that came up, and it's why it got my attention, is the interviewer said, well, do you believe that the devil is a real person? And George, George W. Bush said, no. And that really struck me as odd, you know, that here's this president, you know, who we, you know, if you're Republican, and, you know, you've listened to him and things that were said about him, and as a Christian in particular, that, man, he's, you know, he, and he says, you know, that he, he goes, I read the Bible, and he goes, he's, a matter of fact, he said he reads the Bible every day, and he goes, and I pray for, for God's help, but in that, he goes, but I don't believe that the devil is a, is a real person. 
He said, I believe that the devil is a symbol of evil. And there's many today, believe it or not, if you just begin to talk with them, they'll use the word devil. So you think in language, you go, oh, they said devil. So they, they believe devil, but they don't believe that the devil is a person. They believe that, that when we use the word devil, it's just a symbol for evil in the world. So again, poses a great question you know, for us. You go, what's your thought? Well, for me, I, I believe that he's a person. I believe that he's a person, and I, I think I can demonstrate that very clearly and articulately from Scripture. You know, when, when Jesus, and just one thing, you go, Jesus is led into the wilderness to be, what, tempted by the devil. I mean, Jesus is either talking to himself, you know, uh, which that could happen, I guess, if you were hungry. You know, I, I do sometimes. You talk to yourself, and you. but I think that's a whole different thing. He was being tempted, and, and he fought the devil off with, what, the Word of God. The devil would challenge him. Not just one instance, you know. Uh, another, you know, Jesus saying, I saw, he didn't say a sim symbolically, he said, I saw Satan, I saw him fall from heaven like what? A bolt of lightning, right? And uh, so again, and he makes reference to the, you know, the Jewish religious leaders. He said, you know, you're like of your father. And he wasn't thinking symbolically because he was talking about his father, his heavenly father. And then he said, you're of your father. And father always has to do with what? Is that an entity or is that a person? And again, it would always be a reflection of a relationship with a person. And he says, you are of your father, the devil. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's like, that's really one of the, the, the easiest topics, I think, in scripture that you can you can find overwhelming, you know, uh, you know, evidence that there there is a personal devil. Okay, when I say personal, you know, now people will say, well, he's not God; he's the opposite of God. And you think about that, and you go, well, he's not the opposite of God because he's not omniscient, right? I mean, he can't be everywhere at one time. He's not all knowing. He's not all powerful. So he's not the opposite of God, just in the negative sense. He's a created being, and we know that from Scripture. And we know, you know, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit later, but, you know, in the study of Job, remember, you know, when, when he's now in heaven, so we know that, you know, he's before God, and he's also on the earth. He goes back and forth, and he's given a report to God. And he said, you know, God says, have you considered, you know, my servant Job? And when you really study that out, he's not going, hey, you know, what about Job? He, what he's saying to him in the Hebrew language, he's saying, I know that you're eyeballing Job. I know that you're watching Job, okay? Well, that's not an entity that in the sense that that's not an it, you know, it's not a, a force field. It's, it's a person, it's a relationship. And so, again, as you look at this, I, I think in my own life, so I, I just went into this week, okay? So Sunday morning is usually when I actually put my notes together. I just all I do is study during the week, and, and if you looked at my computer screen, I'll end up with, could be somewhere between 10 and like 50 pages of just partial notes, because I'll just be reading something, and I'll, I'll go, okay, and so I'll write that down, and I just open up another one, I just, and then so on Sunday morning, I just take the things that I feel like the Lord, you know, because you could, you really could, if you wanted to do a Bible study for 12 hours, you could, I mean, it's real easy to do. It's just, that's the beauty of God's word. It just unfolds every, then it becomes a word study, you know, and then it's like, oh my gosh, it's just, it's rich. And every time that you study it, 
there's something new, even old passages. It's, I know it's exciting for you. It's just like it is for me. You go, man, I've read this a thousand times. I was telling my wife, you know, some stuff last week. Man, I've never thought about this with regard to, you know, uh, the authority, you know, of, of man and relationships and, and things that, you know, you just think, oh, I've known this forever. And no, it's, it's, it's always been there, but I haven't always seen it, you know. And so I get up today and my computer crashes. My computer's never crashed. I got, it's a new computer. So it's got a virus or it's got something, but every time I would hit my Logos program, it would crash and it would say, Logos closed unexpectedly. So I'd bring it back up and I could hear it in the background. So I turned my computer off completely, started it back up and it was still playing. It was going off in the back and I could see the, the screen on my computer was pulsating. It was going from bright and it was fading. And it was the program trying to start in the background, but I hadn't started the program. So I had to go into my app store. I deleted it completely from my computer and then I reloaded it. So you understand I'm doing this on Sunday morning when I'm putting my notes together, right? And, and so I'm, but I'm laughing. I'm not, I'm not frustrated about it because I, yeah, I do devil. Yeah, I'm on dude. Good thing I was studying about you this week because, you know, this is a little blatant here. You're just not really wanting me to say anything about you, right? So then get this, so then I go to my phone because I have, I have another app that's on my phone that's not even on my desktop because they don't make it yet for a desktop publication. And uh, it's one of my favorite Bible programs. Like, that's why I like using my phone so much because it's, it's, it's just a great Bible program. So, so I go on it. Guess what? I go to copy and paste it versus... Have you ever pasted something and it doesn't paste it as a sentence? It just pastes one word and it goes all the way down? Can you imagine all your notes, just one word at a time going down the side? That's the whole thing. I'm looking at my notes. It's like a thousand pages. One, one word. And I'm going, oh my gosh. I go, hey, you've never done this. I'm talking this word to you. That, you go, is he real? Is it? I go, yeah, you've never pulled this one before, devil. You know, it's like, and I'm, th and I'm laughing though, because I'm going, I can't believe this. this is so awesome. I'm going to use this against him. You know, it's like, I feel, I feel like Taylor Swift this morning. You know, my wife and I, you, know, you, you won't understand what I just said until I explain it. But the first time we, we saw her was at a Dodger baseball game. She did like the opening before a, a game. So we got there early and we didn't know who she was. And uh, she's singing, but she was cute. She was a little, you know, high school girl. And, and she had this song and she said this. She said, you know, hey, you know, you don't want to be mean to me, you know, because if you're mean to me, she goes, I'll write a song about you. And you know her career, she's made, you know, millions of dollars writing songs about people that, that, that mess with her. So, so I'm kind of laughing. I, I, said, I felt like Taylor Swift because I'm going, you know, devil, you're just messing up because all I'm going to do is bring this out today. And I'm just going to tell the church, you know, just how, you know, evil you are and how mean you are and how you just try to disrupt everything in our lives. I'm just going to, you know, exhort them to be mindful of everything that it says here. Be sober, be vigilant, you know, and so... You know, I, I'm just here putting this together. So then <laughs> I'm, I'm, I get to the church. Guess what? I have my iPad, which I had plugged in all week long. I get here and it's got 7%. I mean, it's never happened. It never, ever happened in all the times that I have had an iPad. It's in the back now charging. John, thank God we have a backup. So he took my notes and put them on the backup, you know, iPad for me. But I'm going, and I'm just laughing. I go, and so he gives me a battery charger, so we plug it in, and it goes down to zero. It just shuts off. So I'm going, you know, this is like 
awesome. So I'm going, if he's doing this, he does not want me to bring this message or anything that I'm sharing with you today. And he's doing anything he can to try to disrupt it. And, and we think about that, you know, as James talks about, then rejoice when you go through all these various trials in your life, what, that the testing of your faith does, it produces something, right? It's producing something good in our life. It's producing patience in our life that we all need and, and to trust God and to look to him. So when, when you look at this, these verses here, like I said, just two verses, I, I want you to focus on these, these as words really today as we walk through this. The word sober there, you know, first thing that comes to mind you know, um, all my alcoholic friends, you know, right away they go, oh man, he's going to be talking about drinking today. No, that's not what it's talking about. You know, it's, it's not talking anything about being intoxicated. It's a, a metaphorical phrase here. It means to be mentally and, and spiritually sober. That, that's what he's telling us to do. So Peter is making sure that you understand. And it's so fitting, I think, you know, for today. I love the timing of God, don't you? And I mean, God is always on time and especially what's going on in the world today. We need to be sober minded. Some translations will say, you know, just that be sober minded, which means to be and, and people think about it when you think about being sober means to be self-controlled or be disciplined or think clearly. And that's what that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be self-controlled, to be disciplined, to think clearly. And so again, Where's the number one attack of the enemy in your life and mine? Where's he going to attack you? Your mind. Yeah. Guard your mind. You know, the scripture tells us to do. You know, Paul says, put on what? The helmet of salvation. That you're constantly reminding yourself, I'm not saved because of my works. I'm saved because of his works. Amen. And be reminded of the grace of God. For by grace you've been saved. So Paul's going, hey, put that helmet on. Protect your head, protect your mind. And, and, and again, and one of the things that, you know, we've seen through this whole COVID thing, if you watch, you know, like I said, I, I haven't even watched the news since, you know, the election. And uh, I watched enough of the news, you know, at the very beginning of this thing to see just, again, knowing that, yes, there's much medical information, there's much scientific information, but there's much confusion. And that's what you hear from people all the time. And you go, well, if it's science, how can it be confusing? And you go, because it's still man-centered, right? Psychology is man-centered. Theology is what? It's God-centered. And so we need to be theologically minded. We need to be God-minded, God-centered in our life. Otherwise, what we're finding today is you're going to have good scientists on both sides of any equation that you have. There's always going to be... You know, I remember we went to Israel. Randy told me, you know, a, a story. We were talking about, you know, being prepared to go. And he said, just remember, you know, when you have two Jewish people, you know, there you have three opinions. And it was like, and I, I got that when we got there. You know, it was that thing of there. You there's battles that take place, and there's people that have this perspective and this, and and knowing that, you know, it's like we say, you have your opinion, I have my opinion, and then there's what God's opinion or God's truth. You know. And that's really what matters. It's not what I, it's like I tell you, it's not what I believe or in the true sense what you believe. It's what God declares, right? Because people say, well, I believe this. You, okay, but James says what? The demons of what? Hell believe, right? They, they, they literally tremble at the name of God, but they don't worship him. They don't honor him. They're not obedient to him. See, a lot of people go, I, I love to, 
to worship God. And you go, well, what is worship to you? And they go, well, that's singing. Well, that's not worship. Worship is obedience. Singing is just an aspect of worship. But true worship is being obedient to God. That's why Jesus could say, if you love me, you'll obey me, right? So to be sober, again, first and foremost, you know, understanding before we even get to the devil himself is be sober. Then he says, be vigilant. And that just simply means to be watchful. You know, I mean, as Jesus said it best, you know, he said, when the son of man returns to this earth, will he find faith upon the earth? That's what he's looking for. You know, what's the, what's the reward? We're going to stand before him, right? And we want to hear the words, what? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? Yeah. And so again, being watchful, you know, and so, you know, and, and many, you know, when you study Peter's thoughts, I mean, he was moved by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God, but he works through the human instrument. And so it, it's probably not far-fetched to, to think back that, when Peter thinks about being vigilant, he's reminded, you know, of the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember when Jesus, you know, uh, went to pray and he took Peter and James and John with him and he said, you stay here and you pray, pray, pray for me. And it says, and Jesus went, you know, not too far away. And then he got down. That's where he, we see that he perspired blood drops and that he was under tremendous anguish prior to going to the cross, right? And so he asked them to pray. And he comes back and they were what? They were asleep, right? And he said, you know, watch. He said, and pray. He says that you entered not into temptation, that we'd be watchful. I mean, isn't Christmas time an easy time to get tempted? It's like, oh yeah, there's temptations everywhere. You know, I, I had told some friends that came over last night, they brought every Christmas, they bring over, she's just a wonderful baker and she, they bring over a plate of, you know, just a variety of different cookies. And I'm like, yeah, I'm really trying to watch, you know, my sugar intake. I'm doing a study on Satan. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we're talking about this and they go, well, but you know, but it's Christmas time, right? It's Christmas time. And I share with you guys all the time. The devil's favorite word in my life is tomorrow. Start everything. Start your diet tomorrow. Start your devotional tomorrow. Start praying tomorrow. Start giving tomorrow. Start serving tomorrow. You know, whatever it is, it's always tomorrow. And that's really becomes the theme of the holiday. And that's not the theme of the holiday. It's not, you know, be a glutton, you know, in, in our lives over the holiday. And go, then I'll, I'll do that. And you go, because what are we doing? We're playing God. No, no, nobody, you know, again, we have no promise of tomorrow. All we have is today, but that's the lie of the enemy. And we see it and we accept it. It just becomes part. It's, it's like for baking term, it's baked into our culture. Right. And so then what happens on new year's? We do what? Not everybody, but the world, you make resolutions, right? So everything that you promised to do, you know, and didn't do in December, you go, Oh, it's a new year. It's a new day. It's a new lie. <laughs> and then, and then two days later, you know, we're waiting for 2022. And you go, why? Well, look at that word there in verse eight. It says, because, because is always a connection word, okay? It's connecting what was previously said. It's like the word therefore that we see everything that was before that. He says, but because, he says, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, I always love, you know, Pastor Chuck, he said, you know, he's like, um, you know, the Catholic church believes that we are in the millennial kingdom right now. 
And he goes, I don't believe that, you know, and he goes, but I want to demonstrate from scripture why I don't believe that because the devil isn't bound yet. See, if, you, if it's the millennial kingdom and we're in the millennium, that then Satan is bound and he's in the abuso, as scripture would say, and he's been, he's bound for a thousand years. And that's the belief of the Catholic church. But you look at Revelation, you don't need to turn there. You can just look on the screen. But as Revelation 20 verse one and two says, it says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand it says, and he laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. It says, and he bound him for a thousand years. And if you ever heard Pastor Chuck teach on the book of Revelation, he'd get to this point and he would always say, if, if the devil is bound and he's in the bottomless pit and he's on a chain, and it's according to the Catholic church, uh, he's bound. He goes, I just want you to know, I believe the chain is too long <laughs> because <laughs> he is still tormenting us, you know, even still, and, and it's, it's so true, and, and he's not bound yet. That day is still to come, and, and again, that's still futuristic. It's still prophetic, but yet today, what is he doing? Scripture says he's going around today looking for whom he can devour, and who is that? Predominantly, that's, well, it's anybody, but it's me and you. It's, it's the church. It's the bride of Christ. You know, again, and how do we know that it's true? Well, Jesus in, in John 10.10, 10, remember he said the thief comes to do what? Except to steal and to kill and to what? To destroy. Yeah. yeah, that's what he came to do. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So uh, again, he says, know your adversary. When you think about adversary, what does it simply mean? It just means enemy, okay? That you need to understand today that the, the devil is your adversary. He is your adversary number one enemy in your life. I mean, he will bring more havoc in your life than, than you could. We always say, you know, I'm my own worst enemy, right? Well, that's second. He's number one. But once he gets into your head, and that's where he gets, he can't get into your heart as a believer. He can't get into your soul. He can't possess you, but he definitely can oppress you, okay? And that's what he seeks to do. He wants to destroy us. If he can't destroy us, he wants us to do what? Destroy ourselves. And that's why, again, Peter begins with, why do we need to be sober? Because yeah. we need to be disciplined. We need to be on the alert. We need to be watchful. And so when you think about the word devil there, it comes from the Greek word uh, diablos, and it means one who slanders, or it also means one who attacks by slander. So what is slander? It's, that's words. So it's not that he physically is doing something to you. It's words. You can go all the way back to Genesis. What happened in the Garden of Eden? How did he attack Eve? With words. What was the first thing that he said? Has God not said, right? So he comes with word. He twists the word of God. He knows the word of God a lot better than I do and a lot better than you do. And he twists the word of God constantly, taking it out, you know, of context. Like, you know, I think of people say, money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, they go, money is the root. You go, no, it's the, the love of, you know, scripture says, the lusting after. Money is just paper. Or it's just metal. I mean, it doesn't move on its own. Somebody has to do something with it, but people will believe that. You know, or you go, yes, you know, my favorite verse, I told you before I came to know Jesus Christ, my favorite verse that's not in the Bible, but I believe that it was. God helps those who what? 
help themselves. Yeah. How many thought that was in the Bible? Did you ever just think that? Yeah, some of you. They go, yeah, I always thought that was, I, when I got saved, that was the first verse I was looking for. Where's that at? I want to, yeah, it's not in there. They go, oh, yeah, I was believing the lie the whole time. Wow. Devil. Think of these though, different. There's so many different names, you know, devil. It's found 35 times, used 35 times in the Bible. Satan, 54 times. The wicked one, eight times. The evil one, five times. And you find, you know, all kinds of numerous uh, singular uses of the word, you know, uh, Abaddon, uh, Apollyon, Lucifer. I mean, just you think, you know, like I said, there's, there's all kinds. Uh, but we're talking about from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, where the devil is mentioned, like I said, and you'll see it all through scripture. But understand, again, he's a created being. And again, people give him way more credit than what, because that's part of believing the lie, that he's an imposter. He, again, uh, I look at uh, D.L. Moody, he said this. He said, I believe in the devil. I love this. He's, I always appreciated D.L. Moody's writings. He said, I believe in the devil for two reasons. Number one, the Bible says he exists. Number two, I have done business with him. <laughs> and, and I think most of us can say that, you know, um, at some point in our life. Um, you know, the world, though, when you think of the devil, what's the first thing, honestly, and be okay with this. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when, if someone just said devil to you? A lot of people, they go, uh, horns, right? a red cape, and a pitchfork, right? It was a Halloween costume. And that's what the devil wants us to believe, that it's just a Halloween costume, that he's not, like I said, a, a real person. But like I said, Jesus disguises it, you know, or Jesus tells us, you know, that he disguises himself as an angel of light through the apostle Paul there in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Jesus said that he appears as what? A wolf in sheep's clothing, okay? That he, again, uh, he he definitely wears costumes. That's that's what he does. But it's not as simple as just saying, "Oh yeah." I mean, it would be so easy. I mean, don't you wish that's how it was? That you know, every time that the the devil appeared, that he had to appear with horns and a red cape and a pitchfork. That that would be awesome. But that's not how he does. He appears in something that we desire, something that we we want. You know, that's why you know the lust of the flesh. You know, I mean, you think about just how the enemy works in your own life. You think about your weaknesses. You know, we all have weaknesses. You know, uh, you could say we all have a kink in our armor and the enemy knows exactly where that is. And he brings those weaknesses to you in the forms of temptations. You know, the Bible says to flee that temptation. Don't try to be strong in it, but yet to resist the devil himself. And so understand this, you know, the devil mimics, he mocks everything about God. You know, we know this though, God is good all the time, amen? But the devil, the devil isn't, but he appears as good. That's the thing. It appears as good in this moment, but its ultimate end is to do what? It's to do us harm. And you think about that, how, how things in this life have been disguised to appear one way. You know, it's like, look at traps, you know, that we use for animals and things like that. Um, that you know, you put cheese on a, on, on a, on a trap, you know, to, to do what? To entice, you know, a mouse to come out. And all of a sudden, what does he do? He, he takes a bite of that little, sorry, there's kids in here. And, uh, and you know, that thing, you know, and it's, and he, ah, and, and then you show it to your kids and you go, it's what happens, you know, they go, wow. But that's what he does. He's, he's always enticing us with something that we desire. 
And so, you know, Peter, uh, you know, I, I have to believe that he's looking back in his own life. I think, you know, those things in, that are common in all of our lives in First Peter, you know, chapter five, there in verses eight and nine, like I said, I think he's going back to uh, there in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. It's where Jesus is, is telling Peter, he's, he's predicting, you know, he's prophesying over Peter that he's, Peter's going to deny him. And he says this to him in verse 31 there of Luke 22. He says, and, and Jesus said, Simon, Simon, he says, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Okay, that, that's not a, a symbol of evil. That's a person. That's somebody who's real and says, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, because we obviously know that, that Peter went on to deny the Lord, and yet he does return. Jesus restores him. He says, and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And I believe with all my heart, that's what's in Peter's mind here. He's, he's wanting to strengthen. Remember, because this is a general epistle. It, it's written not to a person. It's written to a group. It's written to the church. It's written to me. It's written to you to encourage us, to exhort us, you know, is to not drop our guard, not to fall asleep. All the things where Peter failed. And I, and I, I just want to, you know, it's a rabbit trail for a second here, but I just want you to think about something. Peter failed miserably in his life, but his failure wasn't final. He learned from his failures, okay? And I can learn from mine and you can learn from yours and God can take your failures and he can turn them into someone else's victory. That's one of the things about testifying for the Lord. One of the, the blessings that we have in life that we can go, you know, hey, I blew it in this area and I don't want you to blow it there. And then when they don't, that all of a sudden there's something in our mind, you go, gosh, though I, I wouldn't want to go through that again. Lord, thank you for seeing me through it because I've been able to share that for someone else's benefit and for the strengthening you know, of the body of Christ. And I really believe that that's what Peter is, is doing here. And so he says, you know, be sober, be uh, vigilant. He says, because your enemy, your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking for whom he may devour. And, and obviously we know that, you know, in Rome at that time, they were also throwing Christians to uh, the lions for sport, right? So he saw, you know, the imagery there, most likely of the things that were taking place. Psalm 91.3 says, surely he shall deliver you, speaking of God, says from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And you think about this, you know, a, a fowler was someone who, who would, you know, catch a, a bird uh, who, and they would do it in a, what, in a very secretive way. It's like, you know, you watch guys that go duck hunting, they get in a duck blind, right? And they, they come out and they just look like, you know, bushes walking, you know, and they're, they're camouflaged. It's kind of cool, you know, that you can, you can do all that kind of stuff. But that's what he's talking about. We have an adversary that blends in, that he gets camouflaged and you can't even recognize him. It's amazing. You, like, have you ever seen those pictures of our military where they'll, they'll be in all kinds of camo and they go, there, there's 25 guys in this picture. Can you, can you find them, right? And you're looking in there and you go, I don't see anybody. It just looks like a bunch of weeds. And then, then they show you the next picture and they're all standing up and you go, wow. And you go, but it's even worse for us because the enemy that you and I face, the Bible says he's invisible. And he has to be made manifest, but he's invisible. And that, <laughs> that's where it gets tough. That's why we have to be sober. We have to be vigilant. We, we've got to, you know, be disciplined. We've got to keep our head in the game. But what happens when you get tired 
and you think of what COVID is doing and what it's doing to people as people are isolating themselves and they're being removed from, from kingdom life and sharing life together. And you go, the enemy just starts picking people off one by one. And, and, and it bothers me. And sometimes it even offends me when people try to defend their isolation, their isolation from the body and their isolation in true sense from God. And, and I can prove it that it doesn't work because you're not hearing the statistics, but you know that they're there because they sneak out every once in a while. That the suicide rate amongst kids in our country is at an all-time high. And you go, why? And you go, because this COVID pandemic, you know, hasn't made them feel safe. It's actually destroyed their life. Many who played sports uh, were involved in activities in school, now have graduated and missed out, you know, on a whole year, you know, uh, of life. And so th they don't understand, you know, do I have something to live for? And I, I know that as someone who played sports. And when I came to the end of my athletic career, I, I kind of wondered myself, what, what do I live for? I mean, I, ever since I was two years old, that, that's all I remember was, you know, that I was, I was being groomed for this thing in my life. And if I wasn't doing that, then why was I here? So I, I, I understand that. And, I, and, it, and it grieves me. I, the alcohol abuse, you know, how many Christians have taken up drinking during COVID? How many Christians who had a drinking problem now have a real bad drinking problem because of what? Fear, because of isolation, because of believing the lie of the enemy, the abuse to children who aren't in school, who are at home and their parent, parents are suffering through the anguish of this. You go, it's a, it's a difficult day. You go, those things are real. The enemy manifests himself through that. And so here, you know, Peter is saying he goes around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. You know that a male lion, you think about this, can weigh up to almost 600 pounds. And, and you've probably seen, if you're watching you know, those animal kingdom, it, it's not afraid to attack an elephant, right? I mean, a, a lion can take down an elephant. You know, they say there's really, there's two, uh, the crocodile, but, the, but really the only true predator to the lion is a man with a gun or a woman with a gun. You could say a hunter with a gun to be politically correct there. But what does a lion do? A lion always takes its prey in its jaws and what it tries to do more than anything is suffocate it. It just bears down. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to isolate you. And then when the moment's right, you think about what he does. He pounces. You ever watch? That's what they do. And a lion will pounce and then it will attack. And then ultimately, what will it do? It's going to devour. And you look at that, you know, in scripture. But yet our adversary is deadlier than a lion, like I said, because we can't see him. That's what the apostle Paul says in, in Ephesians 6, 12. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, and I want to remind you today, you know, God doesn't yell. God doesn't shout. He whispers. And there's only one reason why someone whispers. It's because they're close. He's right there. That was what we were celebrating last week, right? In communion. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, I'll be with you and I'll be in you. And so he can whisper to you where the enemy isn't close to you because you're close to God. But he yells and he's intimidating when he does that. I, I love David Guzik's commentary on First Peter. He writes this. He said, Satan comes against us like a roaring lion, loud and full of intimidation. 
He roars through persecution. He roars through strong temptation. He roars through blasphemies and accusations against God. You know, another commentator writes, the devil is loud, but he's toothless. All he can do is make noise, which kind of, it reminds me of a, a joke about a guy. He'd lost his job and he was searching for a job and he couldn't find one. He ends up, uh, you know, seeing this job at a local zoo. So he goes there and he talks to the zookeeper and tells him his story. And the zookeeper says, well, you know, we don't really have any full-time positions open right now. He goes, but we got something temporary because I can pay you a hundred dollars a day. He goes, what's that? And he goes, well, yesterday uh, our lion died. And uh, excuse me, he said, our, our gorilla died. He says, our gorilla died. And, and uh, I, you, you look like a pretty big guy. He goes, uh, I got this costume. I just got this idea. I'm just thinking maybe you could wear this costume and go into the gorilla cage. And, and you could just do what gorillas do for a couple of days while we, you know, figure things out. And he's the guy says, $100 a day? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, count me in. So he puts the suit on. He takes him out there. He gets in the gorilla cage and, you know, he doesn't at first know what to do. He's, you know, scratching himself and he starts jumping up and down and people start coming up. And so he just starts, you know, trying to entertain the people and they're laughing. And the more they laugh, he just figures, Hey, this is great. And uh, so people start remarking to the zookeeper, they go, that's like one of the most intelligent gorillas I've ever seen, you know? And, and so the zookeeper's like, wow. Well, the, the next day, you know, he, he goes back into the gorilla cage and he's got now a little routine. He's now swinging around and he's feeling pretty confident and, and going from, you know, tree to tree on these ropes and stuff that were there. Well, he goes too far and he flips over and he lands into the lion, the lion exhibit. And all of a sudden, you know, he, he's there and he's face to face with this lion. And he just starts to panic. You know, he just see, you know, his, his heart rate just starts to go up. His, he's just starting to sweat. And he just knows he's going to die. So he just takes off, I mean, in a sprint. And there's people watching. And he runs and he goes over and he, he leaps for the wall. And he's trying to climb this wall with the lion's right behind him. Lion comes and the guy just starts yelling, help, help, help. And the lion goes, shut up, stupid, or you're going to get us both fired. <laughs> that doesn't fit anywhere, you know, in there, but, uh, you know, probably diminishes from it, but it's just a, no, but we really, we, we have an adversary. He's, he's a phony though. You could say he is an imposter. And I love this because Colossians 2.15 puts it like this, says uh, what Jesus did, says having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumph, triumphing over them in it. And what was that public spectacle? It was the cross. It's where Jesus got our victory. But the devil is still intimidating, though he's toothless. And look, you know, there, and it says, seeking whom he may devour. So he's going about. He's on the prowl. That, that's what he's telling us. And that word devour there, understand, you know, again, we're just really doing a lot of word study here today. It means to consume quickly. So the enemy's not trying to just subtly, you know, hurt you or harm you. He, he wants, and you think about this, I mean, I especially think with regard to suicide, and we're seeing this in our country on a tremendous rise, but would you agree with this statement that suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem? But see, the enemy of our soul reverses that. He, he makes us think that it's a, you know, it's a solution, that it really is a solution. It's not a solution. And it's so sad that people buy into it, that people buy into that lie. 
But that's what happens when, and you think about this, in Africa, lions will, for the most part, when they attack a herd, they will look for what? Do they go to the heart of the herd? Or do they look for the weak? They look for the vulnerable? They look for what? The isolated. I mean, keep thinking of that word, you know, because it's really been something that's been on my heart, that word isolation, because we're seeing it in our, our world. And, you know, and you can, and the enemy can disguise it as what? As a good thing, but we're seeing, and again, we're not even being told this. This is what's so sad. People are just looking at their own lives, but the Christian life is not a life that's to live in isolation only for yourself or your family. Yeah, we're to live in community. You know, that's that's the, the beauty of, we think about the, the good Samaritan is that here was someone who's sacrificing themselves for, for what? And this was the thing that for the, the, the Jews that were listening was like, who's my neighbor? And he's like, whoever you come in contact with. And people are going, are you kidding me? I mean, I don't even know this person, you know, and I'm supposed to sacrifice? And you go, yes, no greater love has any man than this, that we'd lay down our life. For our friends. You go, wow, the Christian life, you know, is a sacrificial, sacrificial life. The enemy of our soul, it's the very opposite. It's, it's all about self. So how does he devour people? I just want to really quickly just give you two things here. He does it primarily, the way he's going to try to devour your life, and you need to understand this, is through accusation and through persecution. Remember, what does the word devil mean? Slander, right? And, and again, Revelation chapter 12, he's called what? The accuser of the brethren. That, that's, what, that's what the devil does. He will accuse you. Remember Job chapter one? What does he do? The devil goes, he's called up, God calls him. So again, he's not on you know, his own. He has limited authority, limited power. He's subject to God still. And he says, where have you been? He says, I've been going to and fro over the face of the earth. And then God says to him, have you considered, I, I know you've been eyeballing, that's what he's telling him, I know you've been eyeballing my servant Job. And then the devil responds back and he says, well, does Job serve you for nothing? He's basically accusing God and Job, right? Well, the only reason Job serves you, God, is because you give him stuff, because you take care of him, you provide for him. He goes, but if you take his stuff away, guess what? I've seen people, <laughs> he'll curse you to your face. Well, Job didn't do it. It says in all his ways, Job was what? Job was blameless, right? So then he goes, okay. Skin for skin. I know this one for a fact. You know, get him sick. Give him a disease. You know, give him COVID. And what will they do? They will curse you to your face because they'll go, why are you doing this to me? Right? And then we understand. So it's this accusation. That's what the devil do, does. He will accuse you to yourself. He'll accuse you to other people. He will accuse you before God. And the second thing that we see is that it's persecution. And people go, ah, oh, persecution. Yeah, they were dying. Remember 64 AD? They're going to go start this under Caesar Nero. Tremendous persecution. There'll be a wave, you know, under 10 different Caesars of persecution against the body of Christ. But guess what? In the last 100 years, in the last 100 years, just 100 years, there's been more martyrdom and persecution against Christians in the world than every year from the time of Christ to now. And you go, so does this letter apply to us? And you go, absolutely. Do you believe in, you don't have to raise your hand to this. Uh, I think I can speak for pretty much all of us in here. Do we believe that persecution against Christians is coming to the United States? We're, we're seeing it, you know, more and more. 
some of you have already experienced it in the workplace and some in your homes, but we're, we're seeing it almost as a culture. There's just, it's becoming anti-Christ in the United States of America. So there in verse nine, it goes on, we wrap it up with this. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So he, first he says, resist him. So the good news in that is, can the devil be resisted? Yes, that's the good news. You don't have to give in. You don't have to succumb to his lies. You can resist him. He says, resist him and he will what? He will flee from you, okay? So, and he's not saying, uh, as people do, they go, well, you just need to be stronger in your faith. And you go, oh, but Lord, I have dinky faith. I could ask you this today. How many think of you have dinky faith? They go, man, a lot of times I go, Lord, I have dinky faith. You know, Lord, I believe. I say a lot. I go, but what? help my unbelief, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God, right? But look what it says here. This, this will encourage you. It says, resist him in faith, right? And again, no, that's not what it says. It says, resist him steadfast in what? The faith. Oh, thank God. It's not in my faith or your faith. It's in God. It's in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Again, going back to the temptation in Matthew 4 of Jesus in the wilderness, every time that Jesus fought off the devil, what did he say? It is written. It is written. It is written. Then he goes, be gone. You go, yeah. And he was. He says, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. What's, what's Peter want us to know today? It's a great way to end today. You're not alone. You ever feel like when you're suffering or you're hurting, you ever just feel like you're the only one, like God's for everybody else? You know you're under attack then, right? Nobody else is going through what you're going through. Nobody else can understand what you're going through. He isolates you. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to feel all alone. That's, that's his method. That's what he does. That he's the accuser of the brethren. He goes about like a roaring lion. How do lions attack? They attack the vulnerable. They attack the weak. They attack the injured. They attack the elderly. They attack the very young. And what do they do? You pounce and you devour and you do it as fast as you possibly can. And that's exactly how the enemy works. And so how do we fight against that? Well, we stand on the word of God, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 you know, tells us this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You know it by heart, right? But acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll do what? He'll direct your path. Yeah, because we don't trust ourselves, we trust God. And again, really when you take this, the conclusion of it, he says, don't go it alone. Stick together. You know, we talk about even with COVID, there's this thing called herd immunity, right? And that's what we're trying to get to. Ultimately, there, there's, there's strength in numbers. Is don't let the enemy isolate you from God and from God's people. Because that, think about it, as a herd, if you're moving as a herd, you know, it's like I said, as a man, I don't fear when I go to the grocery store at night. I've never taken my car keys and put in a key between my fingers, you know, like wondering if somebody's, but I know, you know, my wife can feel that way. I've talked to many women that, that become fearful in the world today. And you go, for good reason. There's a lot of crime. 
But when you have a bunch of women that are traveling together, they're not putting their, their keys between their fingers and stuff. And they go, why? And they go, because we got 29 purses here. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. <laughs> we feel, <laughs> it's like, I am woman, hear me roar. <laughs> you know, I, I get that, you know. But don't go it alone. Hell is isolation. It's not a big party. It's not you know, what the world says. Oh, I'll be there with all my friends. And it's going to be a big party. No, the Bible says, you know, it, it is going to be dark. You can't even see. The stench is so great. The, the, you know, the, the fire of hell never goes out. And there's pain and there's suffering. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth that takes place there. It's complete isolation. I think COVID, and I think because of, of revival in the land, COVID has given us all a taste of hell. I believe that with all my heart. It's given us a taste of what isolation is. It's not what you want. It doesn't provide isolation what you're hoping for. It's setting us up for something that is so, so, so terrible. We got to fight against it. Again, the enemy that we're, we're fighting is just like COVID in that sense. It's invisible. You can't see it, but it has a name. And again, and he is defeated. When Jesus died on that cross, he said, it is finished. So think about this as you go today. I always love when Greg Laurie would share this. He'd say, a worn out Bible, a Bible where the pages are falling out of it, usually belongs to someone who's not. A Bible falling apart usually belongs to someone who's not. Stay in the word. Stand on the word. Trust the word, obey the word, and God will keep you safe. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And uh, Lord, thank you that you can help us to recognize the enemy's his methods, his means, his plans, that he's real, that he's not a symbol, that it's real. And he hates us because we love you. And though he has his eye on us, we rest in the fact that, Lord, you have your eye on him. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for the reminder that greater is he who's in us than he who's in this world. Lord, help us to walk with you this way, to bring glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But well, we will send you uh, out with song today. Just want to encourage you, be safe as you go about, you know, do all the things that we can do to stay safe and uh, may uh, this next Sunday, um, we'll be bringing a, a special Christmas message. So I hope we see you here. If you need prayer, don't hurry.